0: In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about what it means to have liberty in Christ. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Saturday. How are you doing, Josh? Kenny, I'm doing well. It's uh,
1: I know it's a little bit of a crunch time for you, and uh, I'm I'm getting a, a few things ready myself. But uh, yeah, it's a good day.
0: It's not a bad day. It's just the end of the semester, and at the end of the semester, everything compresses. People become much more interested in grades during this part of the semester. So I get it. But it's it's you know predictable, but also uh, busy at the same time. Uh, this for this last lesson, you were basically a straight out of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah may be the best-known prophet uh, in the Old Testament, but I'm also guessing that a lot of people don't study Isaiah that much. Frankly, uh, I'd I'd say we probably spend a lot of time in the Gospels, if we're lucky, and and then probably a lot of time in Luke and and the Epistles. So let me ask you this. What's going on when Isaiah is, is preaching, and why was he writing about, well, basically what's going to happen in the future?
1: Well, that's the interesting thing. So, uh, and I think that's one of the things that because a lot of people are not necessarily familiar with Isaiah, and what they are familiar with are prophetic events that happen in the future. So, for instance, the uh, foretelling of the virgin birth in Isaiah chapter 7, or the uh, suffering servant passage in Isaiah chapter 53. So Isaiah writing seven hundred years before Christ, and so he he says these things that are fulfilled in Jesus, and so the the thinking is Isaiah is strictly talking about things that were happening in the future, and that's not really the case. Um, when we talk about a prophet, what we are talking about is a spokesperson for God, mm-hmm. and. What is incumbent on us then is to understand that these these messengers were giving messages to people who lived at that time. So, for instance, um, a relatively well-known passage in Isaiah is where Isaiah is called or commissioned by God. And God says in Isaiah 6 and verse 8, uh, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Well. Send to who? Mm -hmm. Send to us 2,000 years in the future to tell us about some things that were going to (laughs) happen? No. God's saying, Who am I going to send to my people right now who are rebelling against me? And Mm -hmm. that's when Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Or you look at uh, the example of Ezekiel's commission by God in Ezekiel 33. Where God says, I have appointed you as a watchman. Watchman, yeah. Yeah, so if you get a message from me and you warn people and they don't change, well, that's not on you. you know, you're not right. responsible for that. However, if I give you a warning and you don't pass that warning on and people perish because of it, then I'm holding you responsible. Well, again, Ezekiel says some things that are highly significant for the time of Jesus and for us, but that's not the focus. Of Ezekiel's message. The focus of Ezekiel's message is on the people whom he is living amongst and whom God is saying, I have a message for these people. And so there are, and and that's why even I got into it in Isaiah uh, on Sunday, that there are these two main sections. There's the first 39 chapters, which is kind of a doom and gloom section, but God is Mm -hmm. dealing with the circumstances of right now, right then. Okay, here's what's going on. You rejected me. Here are the consequences you're going to face. But then you start in Isaiah 40, you go through chapter 66, and it's a lot more of hope. And yes, there was some relatively, uh, you know, kind of hope that was in the near term. But most of the hope, God is saying, is something that he was going to do later on. And that, of course, is where Jesus and the Messiah comes in.
0: right. Right. Uh, Isaiah is one of the major prophets, is what what we call them. The, the only reason we call them major prophets is they're the longer ones. They, they, they are the, the they are the books you talked about. Ezekiel as well. And yeah, and I can just people... picture
1: Amos up in heaven going, "Guys, come on!" I, mean, <laughs> I did what I did what God asked me to, and you're calling me minor,
0: really? <laughs> um, the the thing about it is, is I I, I think we don't. I, again, I don't think we we study the major profits very often, uh, but when you think about it, I, I think one of the reasons we don't is because these are often intimidating books. I mean, they're they're usually very long. Uh, th- it requires us to understand a lot of stuff that that we are so divorced from because we, we are not primarily an agricultural uh, economy. We're we're mostly we we buy and sell services for the most part, and and really the, the audience isn't directly us that, that, that we, we have to kind of tell ourselves why we study these people because we're not Israel. We, we are not, we, we are not in that time, nor are we those people. So let me ask you this, not just Isaiah, but all of these guys, um, how should we basically put these guys number one in context? Number two, uh, uh, how, how could we understand these guys better? Because these are old books, Josh. Yeah. So
1: this kind of gets into something that I, I, I commented on in the beginning of our Bible class on Sunday. When we look at how our Bibles are arranged, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical because I'm, I'm thankful for the Bible that we have, and I know it how it's arranged, and, and that's all that's all well and fine, right? But the way uh, the Old Testament arranged, and what you know, we tell people is. It's not how, you know, we might do if we were looking at it as just, you know, straight history. When we say, okay, we're going to put everything in kind of chronological order. This is much more like you walk into Barnes and Noble and I've got the periodicals over here. I've got fiction over here. Upstairs in a dusty corner are the history books. You know, there's some science books, maybe a shelf, but it's all grouped by category. Right. Well, that's what the Old Testament is, is grouped by category. Right, and so you get to Isaiah, who's after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So you've got all this wisdom literature, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is written during the days of David and Solomon. And you get to Isaiah, who is really working some three hundred years after David and Solomon. Yeah, and so you just kind of you just kind of land on him. So, what? I want to do when I teach is I want to try to incorporate Isaiah and these other prophets into the historical narrative where they fit. So, for instance, do you consider uh, Isaiah chapter one and verse one, which gives us the time frame, and it says, "The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah." Well. Thankfully, God has given us an historical record of what was going on during the days of those kings. Right. So I can, I can turn back and I can read uh, about the kingship in you know 2 Kings 15, starting there, about Uzziah, also called Amaziah, and about how he was a good king, although he had some problems. And his son Jotham was a good king, but again, kind of some problems. Then you get to Ahaz, who is not a faithful king at all. And during this time, you have Syria and Assyria really beginning to afflict God's people. Assyria mm-hmm. is going to take 10 tribes captive. Syria is, is again, they're, they're, they're wrecking havoc in, in Judah and other places. And so if you understand what's going on, this is not, hey, everything's well and good in Israel. And God just decided, I'm going to have this guy Isaiah you know, talk about some things that are going to happen in the future. No, things are really bad. And God is using Isaiah to try to turn the people back to him, but also understanding that the people aren't going to turn back to him, but there's still hope. God still has a plan for how he's going to redeem not only Israel, but all of mankind.
0: Several times in the lesson you talked about, well, if we had hours and hours and hours, we would, we would talk about this thing, Isaiah. Um, we don't have hours and hours and hours, but what I would ask is, uh, what did you want to talk to us about? What, what did you want to cover that you weren't able to cover? And, and what, what about the Isaiah is, is something that that's so pressing that, that if we had a better understanding, it would help us more.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, originally I kind of had this all as as one lesson, and, and tr- truly, as I was going through the lesson on Sunday, I, said, I was thinking, "I can't, I can't do all this in the, in, the <laughs> in a reasonable amount of time." Right. So that's why we are going to kind of finish this up on on Sunday. But even then, something that I would love to have gotten into, but I knew I wouldn't have time because there are these different themes kind of woven together in this passage. And so, again, we we talked about how God says, I have a servant who ultimately would be Jesus. Mm -hmm. But the reason why this servant was needed was because God's first servant, Israel, had not paid attention to God, had not followed God. Mm -hmm. And so God is kind of interweaving all this, you know, about how God had cared for Israel. They had rejected him. They were going to be punished for it. God was going to redeem them. And ultimately, God was going to send the servant for them. But in the midst of that, uh, in passages like Isaiah 44, God is talking to Israel and reminding them, here's all the the things I've done for you. And here's, I'm going to be the the one who is with you. So for instance, as it says in verse 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock, I know not any. Okay, so here's God asserting himself. And then what does he do immediately after that is he gives this ridiculous picture of idolatry. And to paraphrase, he says, here's what you guys are trusting in instead. You go and you chop down a tree. Mm -hmm. You take half of it and you make a fire. And then you use that fire and with the other half, You try to fashion an image and then you bow down in front of that image. Right. God is saying, I can redeem you. I would always redeem you, but you're going to have to put your trust in me. Okay. Take that concept and fit it into the first century when Paul is writing. Mm -hmm. And when Paul says, you know, things like, You know, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest no one should boast. Right. It's the exact same thing that God was saying to Isaiah. Paul is saying to predominantly his Jewish audience at that time, you think because you have this rabbinical literature that's told you the ways in which you should follow God and keeping the law, that has made you God's people. You've put your trust in that. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. That is you taking what really at that time was, in essence, your man-made laws and saying, this will save me. I'm telling you, God's grace, which is accessed through faith, is the only thing that will ever save you. Exactly what God is saying to Isaiah. You think these things you construct will keep you and save you. And I'm saying, I'm the only thing you need.
0: I tell you what I mean I can't believe the children of Israel were, were that big an idiot I mean thank goodness we've learned so much from uh, we're not anything like that Josh I mean Never. we 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 do not have graven images and, and and let's face it I mean we don't have the problems of the idolatry that they had
1: uh well, I mean, I think I preached about an eight lesson series on that. Or at least <laughs> I I say it was eight. I've heard it's been as much as thirty-five. <laughs> no. Um I, I think maybe you and even I have even commented on this. I, I'm I'm fascinated by John in his in his first epistle, first John, and while he has not spoken of idolatry at all because that's you know the the worship of idols was not something that was necessarily uh, afflicting the church of the first century what John was warning about was philosophy mm-hmm. and how they had been taken captive by different philosophical winds and so the very last thing that John says my little children beware of idols mm-hmm. Those Christians were not falling down to a golden image or a wooden image or any kind of image. But they can make an idol of their own thinking and trust in that. We have the same problems. We we, we make an idol of our country. We make an idol of our jobs. We make an idol of the way we've always done it. We make an idol of the church we go to. We make an idol of all these different things. And all these things can and very well be good and blessings and right. But my trust is not in any of those things. My trust right. is in God alone.
0: Right. And I think that's the the mistake that I think we often make is we are so much different than, than number one, the children of Israel. I mean, they didn't have cell phones. They don't have the internet, much less they didn't have electricity. They didn't have any no plumbing either. The, the, the problem is we we, we we look at technology and, and quite frankly i think that is technology is often our idol that 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 we don't need god because we've got the internet and, and nothing could be farther from the truth um your, your mistake is, is is to think that we are any different and and your mistake it probably betrays that you're trusting in things that are not trustworthy and and i think the other thing that, that you kind of make there are some perfectly good things, and I, I would, you know, this. I, I will argue, technology. I think is a good, a net good. I think it helps us do more with with less effort, and I think that's that's something that that is an, an excellent tool and a terrible master. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I would say is, if you do not see the application on Isaiah, you are you are not trying hard enough, because the the, the application is easy to make. If you will simply put yourself in the, in the, in the place of the people who are messing up, because y- yes, I know these are people who are, who are long since dead, but they make the same, you make the same mist- mistakes that they do. You see what I'm trying to say?
1: Absolutely. There? I mean, that's, Paul makes the point. These things are written aforetime, four time or for our learning. Now he's saying that again to a first century audience, but the same is true mm-hmm. for us. We have this collected for us because in looking at this history and God's dealings with his first people, we, now his people, are supposed to learn from that. We're not supposed to make those same mistakes again.
0: Right. Yeah. And even if the times change, God doesn't. Yeah. Amen. Um, You said that this was uh, a a sermon about liberty in Christ. And, you know, I... Our country's founded on liberty, Josh. We know what liberty is. I mean, it means that we can do whatever we want to whenever we want to do it. What do you mean by that? I mean, why did Israel need this idea of a, a assurance? And how is it dif- different from this idea of of you know, I I've been saved once, I don't need to do it again. That I, what is commonly called once saved always saved.
1: So we are going to get into that in in much greater detail this this coming Sunday because there is this, this concept, really, of we are free in Christ, but we're not free. Uh, right. Paul deals with that at length in Romans 6, and Romans 6 will, will weigh heavily into, into our lesson. But the idea of, of liberty that we have, and you're right, we live in a free country. However, we're not free. And that is what Jesus was, was telling to his audience there on, in that fateful day in Luke 4 that we began the sermon with, as he's back in his hometown. And granted, uh, Israel was under Roman rule. But the more that I read into this and look at this, yes, Israel was not happy about it. Israel was going to rebel against Rome. But they didn't have it bad. I mean, right. uh, they, they had a lot of benefits and blessings from being under Roman rule. It was, right. you know, the same way we might look at it. Yeah, there's, there's maybe things that my government does that I don't like. Uh, there may be some, some freedoms I wish I had that I, that I don't have, but still blessed to live in this country. I think an Israelite living in Palestine in the first century could probably say the same thing. They had been freed from bondage. But Christ is saying to them, Jesus was saying to them, you're not really free. You're still enslaved. And what they were enslaved to was sin. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, the, the concluding verse there in Isaiah 53, when he talks about how he bore our sins and he offered intercession That's what Jesus says I've come to do. I've come to make the atoning sacrifice, and I have come to make intercession. And that again, that's that's the the foundation of our assurance that Christ's act on our behalf was not a one-time thing. The fact is, He continues to make intercession for us. So that is how we know we are free, even though we are not perfect, even though we transgress. But if we are following Christ, we are free. Mm Mm-hmm. That does not, however, mean free to do whatever we want to do. And again, that will be more the focus on uh what we're going to talk about on Sunday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I think one of the things, and I feel certain you'll probably probably cover that in, in the upcoming lesson. We 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 say we want freedom, but I don't think we really want freedom. Uh what what we want is is a good master. Um because the problem is we cannot save ourselves. We've already messed that up. By the same token, I, I understand the point that you're making about this is not once saved, always saved. But it also isn't, and be on high alert because you're probably already lost again. Right, right. No, no, um, no absolutely. Yeah. Did you want to talk about no, no, that No, 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 no,
1: no, no. I, I think we probably will get into that more. But, I mean, we we have talked about that. At length, I know we talked about that at length in a discussion of Second Peter before that. Right. You know, the uh, the entrance into the eternal kingdom is abundantly supplied to us. Right. We're not we're not getting in by the skin of our teeth. We're not going in and dropping out. Going in, dropping out. Going in, dropping out. That's that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is having the one sacrifice that ever needed to be made was made, and now the person who made that sacrifice continues to act on our behalf as our high priest. Right.
0: Right. So. All right. So I, I think we pretty well have a pretty good idea what you're going to be talking about next time. Unless... I think you
1: do. <laughs>
0: okay. So I know that we'll have something to talk about next time. So I look forward to that conversation. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get to know us more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. The sermon we referenced in this episode is in the show notes. We have all of our information at universitychurchofchrist.org. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.